today with us for the very first time, I would just like to greet you. My name is Jay Duncan. I'm the senior pastor here on staff with my wife, Christy. And we have been on an amazing journey here on a topic called Faithful Presence. And we are taking the bulk of our material from a book called Faithful Presence, written by a man named David Fitch. And I just continue to blow this trumpet, grab that book, Antioch, pick it up, read it, it will uh, it will mark your life. It is fantastic. And so today we're going to begin the first of seven disciplines, seven corporate disciplines that we as a people, we as a church can participate in the faithful presence of Jesus in us and through us to the world around us. And we're going to be talking today about the Lord's table. Um, when I was a junior in high school, I uh, experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I went to this revival in a Assembly of God Church and just devoured everything. There was a traveling evangelist came in, never heard of him before, never heard of him after. But uh, for one solid week, they had these revival services. And I remember just sitting uh, with my, my pad and my pen and my Bible and just devouring everything this traveling evangelist had to say. And he told a story about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I'll never forget. It was a very comical story. It was a story about a young boy that grew up eating oranges. And for whatever reason, the person that first started feeding him oranges did not feed him the actual orange. He fed him the orange peel. And so this little boy, since the time he was little, grew up associating an orange with the orange peel. And one day... This older gentleman began noticing that this little boy would take time and he would uh, peel the orange and he would throw the orange away. And he would just painfully stomach his way through that orange peel. And this older man came and he said, son, what, what are you doing here? And he said, well, sir, I'm, I'm eating an orange. And the older gentleman said, son, let, 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 me, uh, let me introduce you to something. And he took the bulk of that orange and pulled it open, pulled out two big juicy pieces. And he said, son, I want you to try this. And at first the boy was a little reluctant because all his life he was taught that to eat an orange was to eat that grainy orange peel. And so reluctantly, the little boy grabbed the bulk of that orange from that man, put it inside of his mouth, two gigantic pieces and he bit into that orange and the juice exploded out of that boy's mouth and began to just literally glow, go down his entire chin and his eyes lit up and he said, I've never tasted anything like this. How come people have hid this from me my entire lives, my entire life? And, and the old man said, now that son is what an orange is. And that traveling evangelist talked about that and he used that in terms of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And not too much longer after that seed was sown into my heart, the Lord moved very powerfully in my life and I experienced uh, that particular grace of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I was reminded of that story this morning as I thought about the table of the Lord. Because just like that little boy 
grew up his entire life not really understanding what that orange was like. And just like many of us in our Christian faith have grown up our entire lives not experiencing this, this second work of grace that we call the, uh, the baptism or the infilling or the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I feel like the Lord has done that with me in understanding or beginning to understand more deeply the power of the Lord's table. Now, I don't know what your experience has been. I'm, I am coming to understand that I'm very naive because in my tradition of faith, I grew up not really understanding and not really celebrating uh, the table of the Lord on a very regular basis. In some churches that Chrissy and I have been involved in, we'd probably celebrate the table of the Lord once a year. And in an attempt to not be religious, I remember this very, very succinctly in certain conversations, uh, the topic came up of coming to the table of the Lord on an Easter Sunday. And I remember someone in, that, in the group, as we were discussing whether or not to make that decision, someone said, well, we don't want to be religious about things. So uh, we, don't, we don't have to do uh, the Lord's Supper. We don't have to do communion just because it's Easter. And, and those are some of the experiences and impressions that shaped my mind and my understanding. Now I am coming to an understanding and in a deep appreciation that there is incredible power and presence of the Lord available in coming to his table. Not only that, I am coming to understand that before the scriptures were ever canonized or codified, which took place in about 167, prior to that, the table of the Lord became a centering and anchoring point for the early church. Now, the scriptures in the New Testament, particularly that we enjoy, we have to understand that when the church of Jesus was birthed into its formation on the day of Pentecost, they did not have Matthew through Revelation. They didn't have the scriptures at their disposal. In fact, they didn't have those scriptures till probably after a, a good 100 years. And it wasn't until about the mid-300s that the scriptures were actually canonized in such a way that they were spread and distributed to the larger Christian population. In fact, our roots as Christians are found in the Jewish people. And the table of the Lord is actually found in the roots of Passover, a meal that God ordained his people to celebrate, to not only remember what God had done to deliver the people of Israel out of the horrific bondage of Egypt and Pharaoh, but to also commemorate that and to pull that deliverance power into their now every time they came around that table and honored that meal. The table of the Lord, David Fitch says, is ultimately a discipline that shapes a group of people to be present to God's presence. I've never heard that, I've never understood that, I've never, I've never even known that that was possible. We have to understand, first and foremost, that God is a God who delights in fellowshipping with his people. The table of the Lord is all about presence. It's not about ritual. It's not about religious routine as we define religious routine negatively. The table of the Lord is all about the presence of the Lord. And today, as I talk about the table of the Lord, I would like for you to hear the things that I'm saying and frame the things that I'm saying even around your table at home. Pull some of these principles and some of these practices even to the table that you have in your very home. 
and watch how these things begin to unfold. I am learning that by submitting myself to the discipline of what God has intended for his table, it is shaping my family. It's shaping the way that we tend to one another and pay attention to each other and invite the presence of God into our home as a family. And when we have people into our home and even when we go into the homes of others. Psalm 23 verse five says, you prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. What I want you to see here just in a couple of minutes is that that God throughout the moment that he created humanity, he created humanity out of the overflow of his relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we are wired for fellowship and community. And out of the overflow of God's relationship with himself, out of the deep love and the deep fellowship and the deep community that God experienced, he now creates humanity and he intends to interact with us and fellowship with us in that same level of intimacy. We see that God is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day. And I personally believe that God shared some meals with Adam and with Eve. We find that God not only hosts uh, a table and invites people to, like we see in Psalm 23, but in Genesis chapter 18, let's go to Genesis chapter 18, verses one through five. Very interesting story here where God actually visits Abraham. God visits Abraham in the form of three people. And we see right here in verse one, it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. So here's Abraham, he's hanging out in his tent, it's hot outside. And then it says right here, it goes into more narrative detail. It says, Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. Now in verse one, it says, God visited Abraham. And then in verse two, he begins to explain this encounter. And he says, there were three men. Who do you think those three men were by chance? Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. And he bowed low to the ground. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. And let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now. Now that you've come to your servant, very well they answer to do as you say. Now, part of this is cultural, but part of this is something that God is orchestrating. Part of this is something that God is inviting himself here to Abraham's tent because God wants to fellowship with him and he wants to do it over a table. We find in the... In the end of our scriptures, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, behold, I stand in the door and I knock, the Revelation 3.20. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat or sup with him and they with me. We also find in Revelation 19, six through nine, the scriptures reference the marriage supper of the lamb. You see, our story began in the intimacy of fellowship and communion, and it's going to end in the intimacy of fellowship and communion, man and God in the new creation. God desires to fellowship and he delights 
in fellowshipping with us around the table. Let's look more deeply at Luke chapter 24. This will be our our primary text this morning that we'll dive into more deeply. And then we're gonna talk about some of the disciplines that happen or some of the practices that form us around the table. Luke chapter 24. The context here in Luke 24 is Jesus, after his earthly ministry with his disciples and the people of the world has has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He has gone down into the depths of hell. He's gone up into heaven. Now he comes back and he interacts with some of his disciples, his students, his followers. And in Luke chapter 24, we're gonna begin in verse 13. It says, now that same day, two of them, two of his disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Everything that had happened being primarily all the events that surrounded the death, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. As they talked and they discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. I love this. This is one of my favorite stories. This shows us something about the, 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 the tricky nature of God. I mean, think about this. He shows up to Abraham and he shows up in the form of three guys that are, that are guests and that are visitors. And Abraham doesn't know this is God yet. And, and God just loves sneaking up on us and, and surprising us. And here these guys are walking and they're having a conversation and Jesus just, boop, just pops up. I'm surprised that in the scriptures, they weren't startled, they weren't shocked, they didn't think this odd, they weren't confused. They just opened up their conversation to this guy and he starts walking with them, random guy. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you guys discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one? I wish I could just translate this into some of my old slang here. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in the last days? You noob. It's totally, that is totally the tone. That is what I'm hearing as I hear that. Are you kidding me? Where have you been? What things, he asked. (laughs) Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. About Jesus of Nazareth, duh, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him and we had hoped that he was the one who was gonna redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. My guess here, my sneaky suspicion is that Jesus showed up as a Jew. He had to have. I mean, for them to ask him with this level of, you know, disdain, my assumption is that he just popped up and he incarnated himself again as a Jewish man, although in different form. How many forms does Jesus have? Verse 23, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but they did not see Jesus. So Jesus speaks up and he says to them, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Do you guys remember in Matthew chapter 16, 
when Jesus is interacting with his disciples and he asks them, who do people say that I am? Well, you're the Christ. Do you remember right after that, what Jesus says to them that gets him rebuked? He says this line right here. He says to them, the Messiah must suffer these things and then enter into his glory. I mean, this is classic Jesus talk here. And they didn't recognize Jesus. I probably would have recognized Jesus the moment he rebuked me. The moment he opened his mouth and said, how foolish you are. Master, where have you been? We've missed you. Don't cling to me. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. You want to talk about a PhD. What an incredible moment to sit there with Jesus himself, the word of God incarnate, who knows where he was, who knows all of the types and all of the foreshadowings and all of the symbology that was spoken about him. That would be amazing. Sit down from the time of Moses through the prophets and say, there I am, there I am, that was me, there I am, that's me. Oh, you know that whole, you know, Passover deal? That's me. I mean, just on and on and on it goes. What a fascinating conversation. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. This guy, I tell you, you rascal. I actually said this to Jesus. I was reading this. I said, you are a jackal. (laughs) He just smiled at me. Where do you think you get it, son? (laughs) But they urged him strongly and they said, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. Oh, okay. You want to, okay. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them. So here's Jesus, he's walking, they missed that. He's asking questions, which he classically did as a Jewish rabbi, missed that. He rebukes them, missed that. He begins to explain who he is and where he's at in a way that no other scholar could have done, missed that. And then he sits with them at the table. He takes the bread. He gives thanks. He breaks it, perhaps in a way that was customary or unique only to him. And he gives it to them, boom, and their eyes are open and they recognize the Messiah. Think about this, guys. Here is Jesus walking with them in their midst, who knows how long they were walking talking, engaging, listening, correcting, instructing, training. Their hearts were burning inside of them and yet it was at the table that he's recognized. I've got a personal opinion there. I think that there is a part of who Jesus is that we will only recognize at his table. when We submit ourselves to the formational discipline of the table of the Lord. So they got up and they returned once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. Verse 34, and they said, it is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared just as he said that he would. Verse 35, then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. There is something to this. And I cannot tell you today that I understand exactly what it is, but I can tell you that it is something. It is something spiritual. 
It is something mysterious. The word sacrament is actually translated from a Greek word called mysterion, which means mystery. When we speak of something as sacramental, we speak of something that is natural, but holds great spiritual relevance and significance. You guys may also say that's prophetic. There's something prophetic at the table. There is a spiritual dimension and dynamic that Jesus is working into very natural and ordinary things. We call that prophetic. Other traditions call that sacramental. It's a mystery. How do we explain that? We don't. We embrace it. How do we explain that? We don't. We ingest it. How do we explain that? We don't. We submit to it. We yield to it. We yield to the power of what God can do and only God can do through very natural and normal means. I've got a couple of thoughts here. Verse 15, looking backwards, says they talked and discussed these things with each other and Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. My first thought there is Jesus is often present and we don't even know it. Remember the foundational premise of this series is that God is present in all places and he is always at work and oftentimes we're not aware of it. My second thought is Jesus likes to play hide and seek. Jesus loves to be sought out. He loves to be found. He loves to be found. Third thought is Jesus loves to engage in our conversations. Which a subthought to that is Jesus is very mindful and aware of all of our conversations, even when no one else is around. Fourth thought is Jesus has some very profound things to say in our conversations if we will invite him. Fifth thought is Jesus wants to be wanted or he wants to be invited. Next thought is, and I thought this was very, very fascinating. Look at verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, he gave thanks, he broke it, he distributed it, but he's at their house. And it's customary for the host of the house to bless the bread and break it and distribute it. And here in this moment, Jesus becomes the host at their table. Next thought here is their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And as I said earlier, there is a part of Jesus that we will only recognize at the table. David Fitch says that the table of the Lord is a discipline. It is a discipline that shapes a group of people to be present. First to God and then to one another. I wanna explore that here a little bit together. When we talk about a discipline, Every time that we gather around the Lord's table, we are being trained. Every time that we gather in faith and submission to the table of Christ, he is at work doing something in us and doing something to us, both individually and as a people. I've been to some people's homes and I've been to some gatherings and you can identify the discipline and the order that exists or does not exist around that table. 
One of the things that we're trying to train our little ones, even now in the liturgy of our table at our home. And by the way, liturgy very simply means the way we worship. I think we hear liturgy and we hear liturgical and it's been hijacked in some ways to represent a certain form, but the word liturgy itself simply means the public working of worship, the way that we worship. Charismatics and Pentecostals have a liturgy. We have a liturgy in Antioch Church. We started tinkering with that liturgy a little bit and people started getting a little upset. How come we're not prophesying like we used to? How come we're not having corporate prayer? Like That's because that is a part of our liturgy. Your, ha- your family has a liturgy around your table. Do you, ha- do, you, do you make your children wait before they start devouring all their food or do they wait until everyone is seated? That is a part of your liturgy. Do you pause to give thanks to the Lord or not? That is a part of your liturgy. So at the liturgy of our table, we are learning as a family and we are learning as a church how to discern the presence of Christ in our midst and how to allow his presence to shape us, to change us, to form us. You know, being present is a discipline. How many of you can attest to that? To truly be present to someone is a discipline. Have you ever been with someone and they're distracted? Or have you ever been with someone and you just did not feel like they were all there even though they were nodding and saying the right things? You ever been with someone in in perhaps even a justifiably very busy environment and they were just always checking their watch, checking their phone, checking the clock, looking around? They weren't present to you. We live in a culture that is starving for presence. And these disciplines the seven that we're gonna talk about in the next seven weeks, but primarily and foundationally, the discipline of the Lord's table trains us to be people that are present, trains us to be a non-distracted people, trains us to be a sensitive people, trains us to be aware of what God is doing. I'm telling you, even in the past, and I picked this book up in December, and in the past three and a half months, it has transformed the way that I engage even my children at our table particularly. And we have discovered, and we have opened, and we have unfolded some things in the hearts of our children just by learning how to be present. We experienced a little bit of difficulty with one of our kids at school And immediately, Christy and I wanted to just jump into some discipline and some correction, some reproof. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of Christy and said, I want you just to sit and be present with this child. Got all the other kids down to sleep. I was out at a meeting. She sat down with this child and just began. And and actually, if I wanna say, she just said, I just wanna be with you right now. Defenses began to melt away. Hardness of heart, stubbornness of mind began to dissipate. Soon this this child crawled up into Christie's lap. They began to laugh, they began to talk, they began to share. And then she began to ask some very insightful questions given to her by the Holy Spirit that unlocked the heart of this child. Then tears began to flow. And as the tears began to flow, Christy asked this child, what's going on in your heart? And as the child began to share, Christy began to understand what the real root of the situation was. Friends, that right there is a discipline of discernment and the discipline of being aware that has come to us by way of learning how to submit to what the Lord does at a table. 
Number one, the first discipline that we learn at the table of the Lord is the discipline of time. It's the discipline of setting aside time. In our culture, soccer, dance, sports, music, television, softball, you name it, our own work, coming into the house with our laptops and our iPads and our cell phones. We are such an inundated culture. And if we're not careful, that will creep in and it will snatch our hearts and it will snatch our eyes and will snatch our attention from the people that God has placed around us. This is one of the reasons why as a staff, as we began to gain greater understanding into this, we said we must set aside time on a weekly basis to come and to submit ourselves to Christ our host and to posture ourselves to receive. It's one of the reasons why we now honor the table of the Lord on a weekly basis. I heard a friend tell me many years ago that your life by nature will fill the vacuums of empty time. If you don't tell that time what to do, if you don't set a focus and a purpose for your time with your family, it will be stolen. It will be gobbled up. And it will happen quickly and it will happen subversively. And before you know it, years will go by and those times around the table will have been stolen. There is a discipline of setting time for the things that are important. Number two, there is the discipline of learning to be present. Learning to pay attention. Learning to listen attentively. My daughter will do this sometimes because she learned this from me. I'm an eyes guy, meaning if we're talking, I want to see a person's eyes. I want to make sure that we're connecting. I want to make sure that if I'm saying something or bearing my heart or sharing my heart, that the window to your soul is open to the things that I'm sharing to you. And so my daughter, as she was growing up from a young age, and and now my son's uh, as I would say something to her and she would look around, I would say, babe, take, take a look here. I want you to look at my eyes. It's probably one of the greatest parenting techniques that, that we have learned by way of the Holy Spirit is just making sure that we engage the eyes of our children. We don't talk to our children when they're down the basement. We don't try to give them correction or instruction when they're like 30 yards away from us in a basement. We either go to them or have them come to us and we create a space where we can see each other's eyes. We do that in our marriage. We try to do that with the people that we pastor and engage with. It is very, very important to building intimacy and building trust and most importantly to being present and to giving our attention. So there's a discipline of learning how to be present. The table teaches us to actively give our attention. We have a rule that we have started here in our family that we put away all of our uh, media. We have a certain place where we put our phones. The phones are not allowed at our table because the phones steal our attention. Books, newspapers, magazines, toys, all of those things, they individualize our focus. And we say, guys, when you come to this table for the time that we have set aside, we want you to put all of those things away. We also don't dismiss our kids as soon as they're done eating. 
because we are experiencing something around God's presence and the presence of one another. So one of my kids can just throw down and wanna go and do their own thing. And I say, no, this is time where we as a family are gathering around the presence of Jesus to tend to him and to tend to one another at his table. The third discipline is the discipline of thanksgiving. When we come to the table of the Lord on a weekly gathering, one of the first things that we do, just as one of the first things Jesus did, is we give thanksgiving. You know, the word Eucharist, which is a word that is utilized in many high churches, the Anglicans, the Episcopalians, they utilize the word Eucharist for the table of the Lord or communion or the Lord's Supper. And the word Eucharist very simply means thanksgiving. So don't allow that word to scare you. If we say Eucharist, it simply means to give thanks. One of the things that you do at your home or even if you go to a restaurant before you eat is you pray. You are giving thanksgiving. You are participating in Eucharist when you say, God, I am pausing to say thank you. And it's a discipline. It's a discipline that forms us as a people. It shapes us to be mindful that everything that God, everything that we have is something that God has given to us. It reminds us that all we have both naturally and spiritually are gifts from God. You know, participating in Eucharist will accentuate your praise. We will be formed into a praising community by coming and submitting ourselves weekly to the table of the Lord because it accentuates our understanding and our attention to the goodness and the grace of God that has been poured out, not the least of which is his salvation cleansing us from our sin. The fourth discipline that we experience at the table is the discipline of receiving. So number one, we have the discipline of time. We have the discipline of giving attention, being present. We have the discipline of thanksgiving and we have the discipline of receiving. Listen to this quote by David Fitch. Giving thanks opens us to receive from God. It opens space for the blessings of the kingdom. In many of the ancient liturgies, we must actually cup our hands in order to receive the bread. Now, we don't practice that here, but in some forms and expressions uh, of church, because of this understanding that we come to the table of the Lord to receive, we don't take communion, just like we don't take up an offering. I want us to be, and I know it sounds really simple and it sounds really silly and it sounds trivial, but it matters. It matters that we understand that we, as, as an ecclesiological people, as a church, we are receiving your offering to God. We're not taking that from you. Consequently, you are receiving the supper of the Lord. You're not taking it. We teach this to our children, sons and daughters receive, they never take. So even in our language, we want to understand, and we may mess it up from time to time just because this is something, this is something new, but we, understand, we, want, we want the language to be that we are coming to the table of the Lord to receive. And some of these churches actually, they actually walk this out in the way that they posture themselves. There are, there are some traditions that will actually come and they will kneel. And they will kneel and they will open their mouth and the priest will will insert the bread, the body of Jesus, and actually pour the wine into their mouth. And they do this as a way of saying, God, I am kneeling to receive life and receive grace and receive mercy from you. 
Now, that's not the way that we practice that, but I want you to understand that there are some believers in Christ that do, and we need not look down on that or judge that or critique that or be afraid of that. We need just, just to understand why they do what they do and the heart in which they do that. It is the same for the cup. In many ancient liturgies, we are not allowed to take hold of the cup only to have it received and poured into our mouth. Listen to this. I believe the posture of receiving is essential as we go into the world to discern Christ. Let's say that one more time. The posture of receiving is essential. Why is that? As we sit, as we listen, as we are present with our neighbors, we release control. Part of what it means to be a follower of Christ is a people who have released control. Part of what happens at the table is we have released control. Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, I humble myself to receive of your life. When we sit at the table of a neighbor or a stranger or those that are in the world, we eat what is set before us and we release control. The fifth discipline is called the discipline of mutual submission. The discipline of mutual submission. The book of Romans chapter 12 Verse 15, the scripture says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to weep with those who weep. What does that mean? It means that we submit our lives to one another. It means that you may be going through a season that I'm not going through. And in your season of weeping, though things may be wonderful in my life, it means I submit to your season. And it means I share in your season. It means that I learn to weep with you as you weep, but it also means that you learn to rejoice with me as I rejoice. It means that there is a sharing of lives, which is the word koinonia, fellowship, sharing in each other's lives. The table teaches us how to submit to Christ and then to submit to one another. And this posture is foundational. We will see that in the rest of the disciplines from reconciliation to being with the least of these, that these things only work as we learn how to submit ourselves one to another. As we learn to become the people of God and the body of Jesus, we will experience disagreements. We will experience offenses. We will experience hurts. We will experience wounds from the people that we love and the people who love us. How do we, how do we reconcile that tension? We reconcile by learning the discipline of mutual submission. And we learn this at the table. We realize that at the table that we all experience equality in Jesus. You know, one of the issues that Paul was addressing to the church at Corinth, if you guys remember in 1 Corinthians 11, the classic passage there of of taking the table of the Lord in vain. What was he speaking to? He was speaking of people that were wealthy, that were hosting meals in their house. And according to some of the customs, particularly of the Roman and the Greek customs of that time, wealthy people would host a meal and the wealthiest person would eat first. And then their best friends would eat. And then their second best friends would eat. And it would go down the line. It was very much a caste system. It was very much those that got to eat first were either the wealthiest or those that knew the host best. And those that were lowest on the totem pole sociologically were those that would go last. 
Most of the times it was those that were bond servants or those that were poor or the women or the children. And what Paul was addressing here was the spirit in which we administer the table of the Lord. And he was essentially saying that through Christ and through the cross, symbolized and and activated by the table, we are all one body, one people, no division, no Greek, no Jew, no free, no slave, no male, no female, no Republican, no Democrat, no educated, no uneducated. When we come to the table, we submit to Christ and we submit to one another. Whether you've known Christ your entire life or you're coming in today just lost and in the dark, we all lay down our titles, our experience, our position, our education, and we come wholly and boldly and freely and as one, welcomed and embraced at the table of Jesus, our host. Finally, at the table, we learn the discipline of forgiveness. We learn to give and receive mercy at the table. I would like for us to work into and weave into our liturgy the discipline of searching our hearts relationally before we receive of of Christ's body to actually take inventory in our hearts and our minds if there is someone, particularly someone in the faith family that has offended us. I'd like for us to take inventory to see if there is a judgment or label that we have uh, established and then conferred onto someone else. Because the table of the Lord, one of the disciplines of the table is we learn how to forgive as we receive. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This happens as we come humbly to the table and we say, God, I am in need of mercy and I am in need of grace and I am in need of forgiveness and I receive your mercy and your grace boldly and I receive it wholly. And as I do, I think of those who need my forgiveness and my mercy and my grace and freely I have received and freely I give by virtue of what God enforces at his table. I'm gonna read this quote from David Fitch and then we're gonna come and we're gonna participate in the discipline of the table of the Lord to experience Christ's presence and to experience the presence of one another. David Fitch says, finally at the table, there is a social dynamic. See the table of the Lord, just like all of Christianity, listen church, is not just about you and your privatized relationship with God. At the table, we learn and we are confirmed that we belong to a family. Now, definitely, as God is doing business with you, we're gonna create time, we're gonna create space and let God do business with you. And as he does, then let that branch out to see and discern the family and the people that are around you, that you belong to. The social dynamic speaks to the forgiveness of sins and the reconciliation and the renewal of all things. Listen to this, the Lord's table rehearses Christ's death and resurrection, rehearses it. The word there in the Greek is actually a word that is pregnant with the meaning that we don't just think about 
like, you know, kind of some nostalgic thinking where we reflect. No, the word there in the Greek actually speaks to pulling that event into the present. That's what Passover was all about. When the Jews experienced Passover, they weren't just kind of giving a a token nod and going, oh yeah, God delivered us from Egypt. No, they were pulling the power of Passover, the deliverance of God from their enemies and they were bringing it into the now. Sounds prophetic if you ask me. And they were pulling the future into the now. That's what happens at the table. We pull the past of Christ's redeeming work into the now. And we pull the future of his kingdom fully consummated into the now. And we celebrate that. It is Christ's body broken for us. The forgiveness of sins. The cup we share is the cup of the new covenant of the blood, the new relationship that we have with God. And so each time that we take the bread, we open ourselves to his forgiveness anew. I don't know about you, but I stand in need of this grace of forgiveness often. And I treasure the moments that I come with my family in the Lord. I sit around the table with my family, you, my family posture myself in a heart of submission and humility to Christ and to you and I receive mercy and grace so that I with you can take that mercy to the world the forgiveness governs our life together that is a powerful statement this forgiveness that we experience governs our life together One of the most quantifiable and identifiable marks of the people of God from the world is that forgiveness and grace govern our life. And this table conditions us towards that end. Each time we receive the elements, we are rehearsing our reconciliation with God and with one another. Today, when we come to this table, I know I've blasted you with a lot but I want you to know today that when you come, you can come mindfully and intentionally and purposefully and expectantly and you can come with faith and you can come boldly and you can rehearse your reconciliation with God and with one another. Each time we receive the cup, we open ourselves to receive the new covenant. All that has been made possible via the Holy Spirit is open to us afresh and anew. This space around the table shapes us into the logic of Christ's forgiveness and reconciliation and renewal of all things. I'm gonna ask that today as we come, that we come with faith and we come with submission, that we come for an encounter, that we come boldly and we come humbly and we allow God to meet us individually and as a family. Would you stand this morning as we posture ourselves to receive, as we honor the discipline of time, the discipline of being present, the discipline of mutual submission, the discipline of belonging to one another, the discipline of reconciliation that we find in Christ 
through his table. You may be dismissed from the front to the back. And if you'll just exit out on the outside of your row, come to any of these two stations here up in the front. And would you allow in the name of Jesus, just as Jesus himself did, for these attendants of grace to speak to you and over you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Come to the table this morning. Chapter 11, verse 23 on the screen. First Corinthians 11, 23. And I know that in our tradition, we don't have you uh, come and cup your hand and, and we also don't place this in your mouth, but I think it'd be meaningful if we held this with an open hand as a symbol, as a posture of, of receiving from, from Christ. And I'd like for us to take just a moment to interact with the Holy Spirit, to allow him to speak to our hearts, both about our relationship with him and our relationship with others. offer thanksgiving. Jesus, thank you. Father, thank you that you have provided bountifully all things for us. We thank you for salvation purchased in Christ through your literal, physical, human body and through your sanctified, untampered blood. We thank you that we have been made right with God. We thank you that all good things come from you. Let's take this bread in our hand and break it. Jesus, as we break this bread, we remember that you were broken for us we might be made whole and that we might become your body. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's receive the body of the Lord. Verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. 
And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we submit ourselves to the new covenant of your blood. We pray for the discipline and the spirit of reconciliation to be upon us between us and you and us and our brother, our sister, our neighbor, our enemy in this world. Let's receive the cup. Verse 26 says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, as often as you do it, you prophetically proclaim the Lord's death. And I would say also his resurrection until he comes. And by that we say Christ is risen. risen Would you grab the hand of a neighbor, a friend, a family member, as we are commissioned from his presence to go into the world and to carry the faithful presence of Jesus to our neighborhoods, our businesses, our schools, our bases, our communities. Father, today, as we leave this close circle where we have experienced and discerned your presence in a very real way, we ask that we would be sent, launched, activated, commissioned from this place, tender, tenderized, aware, conscious, discerning. God, give us eyes to see the world around us. Give us eyes to see our neighbor, our enemy. Let our hands be hands of healing. Let our words carry words that are spoken on time, timely words of encouragement and grace. Let our hearts be open. Let our minds be in tune. As we go in your name, blessed, broken, and given to the world around us. Antioch, may the Lord bless you and keep you. In Jesus' name, amen.